1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 1 through 19. We're beginning now to wrap up our teaching on spiritual gifts. Probably next week will be the last formal teaching on this subject. Um, chapter 12, if you've been with us, you know Paul laid out all of the, well, not all of the spiritual gifts, but like nine of the spiritual gifts he laid out in a list. And he just listed them because the Corinthians, they didn't need any instructions as to what these things were. No, the Corinthians had all of these gifts in action. We, we found out from chapter one what the Corinthians needed was how to use these things correctly. How to not use them childishly and selfishly. That's why Paul wrote all of chapter 13. The 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter, was actually written for Paul to try to harness these guys and remind them that all of these gifts are just, well, it's just like a circus unless they are used with agape love. Look with me at the, the last verse of chapter 12, and you'll see. We pointed this out several times. Chapter 12, verse 31, Paul says, But earnestly desire the best gifts, that's a good thing, and yet I show you a more excellent way. And we know, we, we've seen that the more excellent way is agape love, right? Agape love, again, if you didn't get the, if you don't know the concept, you'll want to go back and get the, the last about five messages that we did. We did a whole series on agape love, but in a, in a word, it's selfless Love. It's the kind of love that God has for us when he gave his only begotten son for me, for my sin. Paul showed us in chapter 13, just kind of catching up to speed here. In the first few verses, he showed us the preeminence of agape love. Basically saying, without love, all of these gifts are nothing. Then in verses uh, 6 and beyond, I think, uh, he gave us a picture of agape love. So this is what agape love looks like. It's not uh, selfish. It's uh, not easily provoked and so on. Then he gave us... Finally, an idea of the permanency of agape love. He says, look, everything else in the world is just going to fade away, but agape love will remain. Now, as we come to chapter 14, which is where we are tonight, notice the first thing that Paul reminds us is this is not an either or proposition. Because look what he says. He says, chapter 14, verse 1, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. Notice he didn't say, Pursue love instead of spiritual gifts. Notice he didn't say pursue love in lieu of spiritual gifts. No, he said pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. Both of those verbs there are pretty intense verbs. The second one, let's look at that first. He says desire. It's the, it's the word zelo. It's where we get the word zealous or jealous from. It means to burn with zeal, to desire earnestly. So that's a pretty dramatic verb. But the first verb is even more dramatic. He says, pursue love. He says, desire fervently spiritual gifts, but pursue love. That means to run swiftly in order to catch a person or a thing. To run after. Actually, it's the same word that is used in the New Testament for persecute. When Paul was going out and trying to capture Christians to bring them to justice, he was zealous. He was zealous. He was zealous. The idea is to go after something hard, to go after something to, and say, I will not stop until I get that. I'm going to hunt this thing down. See, this, chap, this verse, verse 1, is the most important verse in this chapter. He says, fervently desire 
ask for the spiritual gifts. You should. God wants to give you spiritual gifts. But he says, but when it comes to agape love, track it down, run it down, capture it. And that reminds us. Why do you think Paul has to say that? Well, because agape love doesn't just come to us. It doesn't just, it's not like a puppy that just comes to you, right? Oh, I'm feeling agape love toward everyone. No, agape love is a decision, right? The Bible says that God so loved us that he gave his only begotten son. He did, it wasn't like a nice, warm, fuzzy feeling that he had and said, I want to send my son to die for these people for a nice, fuzzy feeling. No, he pursued us. He made a decision and he said, I will do this. So agape love is an action that you must pursue. It's not just a fuzzy, warm feeling that comes to you. All right. Verse one again, Paul says, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy for he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. You get from that, apparently... In Corinth, there were these, these two dominant gifts. Paul listed nine, nine different gifts in chapter 12, but apparently the two that were uh, used most often were tongues, the gift of tongues, and prophecy. We've covered both. Just to give you a real, real quick synopsis, gift of tongues would be speaking in an unknown language. It could be earthly or heavenly. Chapter 13, verse 1 told us that. He said, whether I speak with tongues of men or of angels... And it's the idea of uh, when you are overburdened, you don't know how to pray, and God actually helps you pray in this language that you have never experienced before. I know it might sound weird to some of you. Go back and listen to the last few uh, messages, and hopefully it won't sound quite so weird. That's the gift of tongues. The gift of prophecy is, well, you guys know prophecy in general. The first idea that comes to mind is that it is speaking something of the future, and it definitely can be that. It can be predictive, but it also can just be being a mouthpiece for God, letting God speak through you to a person or a group of people to where you could define, depending on how loosely you want to define the term, you could just define right now what I am doing as prophecy, declaring what God wants you to know, okay? Um, Gift of tongues is one thing. Gift of prophecy is another. No surprise that in Corinth, there would be this controversy about which one is the best gift. Does that sound like Corinth? Yeah. Right? They fought over everything else. Why not fight over these two gifts? I'm sure it went like this. Which is better? I mean, which of us has the best gift? Look, I can, I can speak in tongues. Oh, yeah? Well, I can prophesy. Some would say, and we hear this today, someone would falsely say, look, you can't even be filled with the Spirit. You're not filled with the Spirit unless you speak in tongues. We know that's not to be true from our teachings before. And then others would say, no, that's goofy. Speaking in tongues is just gibberish. And prophecy, that's where it's at. 12, chapter 12, verse 31, we just read, Paul's words were, earnestly desire the best gifts. 
And they're going, yeah, that's what I'm doing. I'm desiring the best. I got the best gift. So which is it? Well, we've answered this one before, too. The best gift is the one that is most appropriate for the given situation. This makes sense, right? Out of the list that's in chapter 12, the best gift when someone is sick is gift of healing. The best gift when you're starting to lose hope in a promise that God has given you is gift of faith. When you're in prison for sharing the gospel, the best gift is a miracle, an earthquake. See, the best gift is the one that is the most appropriate in a given situation. In chapter 14, we're going to find that if, that's the, if those are the rules, then the context tells us the situation at hand. Paul is talking about a church service. If you look through here several times, you'll see him say the word the church or in the church. He's talking about a public gathering, the ecclesia. We've talked about that. That means the calling out. You guys are the called out ones. Um, in, in Roman days, they had groups of people that were special. They were important. They were called together out of their homes. That's exactly what you guys are tonight. You are important. You were called out of your homes because God loves you and he wants to talk with you, right? So. If the, if the public gathering, if a public church service is the context, then which of these gifts is the best? Well, it's prophecy. Want to know why? Look at verse 2. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. Okay. I know you might be tempted to sleep a little bit. The one time you don't want to sleep is right now. The key to understanding this whole chapter, the key to understanding this gift of tongues is right here in verse 2. You've got to get this and you've got to remember it. Here it is. It says, he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but he speaks to God. The direction of tongues is always upward. The audience is never horizontal. It's always vertical. The direction of tongues is always upward. The audience is never men. It's always God. How many of you came from a Pentecostal background? Okay, how many of you came from a background that was more like Baptist, like, you know, please don't tell me those. Okay, all right. Um, if you've been in a Pentecostal service, one um, that hasn't studied the, the scripture, you may have experienced this, where someone speaks in tongues in a service and the interpretation of that tongue comes back something like, my little children, if you will just obey my voice or something like that. And the inter interpretation then is a horizontal one. That would be an incorrect interpretation. Right? That the thing that they spoke might have been a prophecy. The interpretation might be in itself a prophecy or a word from the Lord, but it could not be an interpretation of a tongue because verse 2 says, for he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. You see that? He who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men. He could not be speaking to men. He speaks to God, according to verse 2. And here's the reason why prophecy, Paul is like, you can tell he's pushing prophecy as opposed to tongues in a church service. Here's, here's why. Because he says, for no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. Here's the reason that tongues 
is not particularly suited for the public service is this. Without an interpretation, Paul says right here, plain as day, no one understands him. Now, that's not to say that he's speaking gibberish. Some people will tell you, oh, that's just gibberish. No, Paul's not saying that. No, he says, as a matter of fact, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. He's having a great conversation with God. But to me, it's a mystery. Do you get it? If Scott, I don't think this would happen anytime soon. If Scott were to uh, uh, just break out in the gift of tongues, he might be having a great conversation with God. But I wouldn't understand it. To me, he speaks mysteries. No one understands it. Verse 3 But on the other hand, Paul says, he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. I'm going to probably say this about 500 different ways tonight. Tongues is you speaking to God and you don't know what you're saying unless there's an interpretation, right? Prophecy, on the other hand, is God speaking through you to everyone. Now, which one sounds like it's better suited for a church service? Tongues is me speaking to God and none of you guys are in on it. But prophecy is God speaking to all of you through me. And look at the beautiful content of prophecy. Verse 3. But on the other hand, he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. The word edification there, it's a construction word. Some of you guys are in construction. It means simply to build up. The word exhortation means to stir up. It's where we get, it's in, in the Greek, it's parakletos. It's the same place we get the word for the Holy Spirit. It means to come alongside and to, well, it's like, it's like the coach at halftime that gives the speech and says, come on, you guys, you can do this. You can do it. It's like the, the guy who's riding in the car next to the bicyclist who's training and says, come on, only four more miles. That is exhortation. He says, He who prophesies speaks edification, building up, exhortation, stirring up, and comfort, which means to lift up. It says he who prophesies gives these wonderful messages. Sometimes you need building up. Sometimes you need stirring up. You need to get, you know, moving. But sometimes you just need comfort. How many people have ever needed comfort? Prophecy is a good gift. How cool is prophecy? It builds up, it stirs up, and it lifts up. Now, again, maybe you've been in a service where someone stands up as a prophet of God and they use a big, scary voice and they say something like, Look, you guys, you have blown it one too many times. Now I will crush you. And you think, Well, thanks for that. Pick me up. That happens sometimes in some churches. Well, you need to know that's not really New Testament prophecy. Because it says here that prophecy speaks edification, that's building up, exhortation, that's stirring up, and comfort, that's lifting up. See, let me put it this way. Yes, there may be times when your heavenly Father will kick you in the pants, but he will never kick you in the teeth. You get the difference? Exhortation is kind of a kick in the pants, right? But... He will never kick you in the teeth. He might exhort you. He might say, look, you can do better. I know you can, but he will never crush you. See, hopefully, as, you've gone, as we've gone through this, you're beginning to understand, wow, these gifts are great. They're not scary. 
And, and as a footnote, again, you may have heard someone speak in tongues, and it was a really scary thing. They used, they used all these, these, these vowels and syllables, but they did it in a way that's like, wow, something is wrong there. Have you thought about this? Instead of being scared of those folks, pray for them. Because think about the ramifications. Joe Foch pointed this out, pastor up in Philadelphia. If, if speaking in tongues is speaking to God, <laughs> you do the math, right? No one should be talking to God like that. You should be praying for them if they are speaking to God in that tone of voice. You see how gracious God is to give these good gifts I've probably said it every time, and I intend to say it every time we talk about spiritual gifts. Jesus said, Luke 11, If a son asked for bread from any father among you, which one of you would give him a stone? If he asked you for a fish, will you give him a serpent instead of a fish? If he asked you for an egg, will you offer him a scorpion? Jesus says, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? It's never anything, if it's correct, that you should be scared of. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, start with me now, verse 2, we'll get a running start. He says, For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. But no one understands him. However, in the Spirit he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. In case I haven't said it five times already, tongue speaks to God. Prophecy speaks to men. That's why verse 4 says, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. Paul says, I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesy. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. You guys see? Again, he's talking about the, the public worship. When we come together, he says, this is a no-brainer. Prophecy outranks tongues. And why is it? Because prophecy benefits everybody. Tongues, I can speak it, benefits me, not so much the rest of you. Verse 4, he who speaks in a tongue edifies who? Himself. And that's not a bad thing. But he who prophesies edifies the church. When you speak in tongues, you edify yourself. You build yourself up. Man, that's not a bad thing. Paul is going to say later on, he's like, I, I speak in tongues more than the rest of you. Listen, to build yourself up is not a bad thing in this context. I, believe me, I need to be built up. The Bible says I need to be strengthened in the inner man. The gift of tongues is not a bad thing. But even better, verse 4, Paul says, he who prophesies doesn't just build himself up. He edifies the whole church. You get it? Tongues are good for building yourself up. Prophecy is good for building up the whole church. So in the church service, prophecy is the better gift. But the Corinthians, not, at least not all of them, they didn't see it that way. So Paul continues, verse 6, But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues... What shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching? He's talking about four different spiritual gifts there. What he's basically saying is, look, what if Paul, let's, let's make this practical to our day today. What if Paul says, he writes us this letter, and he says, 
What if I were to walk in, you know, you'd be surprised. Okay, here's Paul, you know, uh, it's the surprise that he would be here. But what if I were to stand up here and speak for 40 minutes in an unknown tongue? Okay, let's change it. Let's, let's say I did that, Doug Teal. Let's say I spent 40 minutes of your time. I was praising God. I mean, in this unknown tongue, I was praising God. I was thanking him. I was praying to him. I was getting blessed. Man, I was really blessed. Woohoo! me and God, we are having a grand old time. Paul says, what would that benefit you? I mean, how would that profit you, Paul says? I mean, you'd be like somebody to ask you, how was the service? Uh, well, the pastor had a really great time. The rest of us were just kind of bystanders. I mean, some of you guys have hard enough time understanding me when I speak English. Paul says, verse 6, But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching? Those are spiritual gifts. We've covered all of them, really, except for the first one. And you don't really need to worry about that because this was a, an apostolic gift. Paul was basically saying that those times when I have been uh, revealed the Bible, basically, this revealing the mysteries of God, th- this letter that we're reading is a result of Paul's revelation, right? It was revealed to Paul to, uh, to write uh, this to us. Word of knowledge, prophesying, teaching, we've, all, we've covered all those things. Paul says, look, tongues is great for building me up. But if I want to build you up, there are so many other gifts that are so much better suited. And Paul goes on now with a musical illustration. Verse 7. Even things without life, whether flute or harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will it be known what is piped or played? Look, we are living, breathing instruments of God, right? We want God to play a melody through our lives, if you will. Paul says, look, let's take an example of non-living instruments. He's give an object lesson here. He's saying, consider something without life, something that doesn't breathe by itself, a flute maybe, a harp. He's saying, take your example from that. Now, John White is not here, but he's a, he's a band director. How many people have ever been to a high school band room at the first five minutes of rehearsal. You, got, you already know where I'm going, right? It's chaos. The flute players are practicing their trills, right? The sax players are running their scales in like five different keys. The trumpet players are blowing their brains out, trying to see if they can get higher than the guy next to them. And the drummers, half of them are practicing paradiddles, and the other half are like, dude, what day is this? It's true. (laughs) Now, except for those pothead drummers. I'm just saying, I'm speaking from experience. I played saxophone. I wasn't a drummer. Just want you to know. Um, Except for that, those people, everybody in that room is doing something good. Right. They're warming up. They're getting ready. They're, They're preparing themselves. They are building up their own chops. They're building themselves up, but you listen to it, and it's not music. I mean, there's no message coming through, except for maybe the band director going, man, i got to get a new gig. (laughs) But when there's a distinction to the sound, when you can identify and go, oh, wait, wait, that's Beethoven's fifth, or that's 
box, Takata and Fugue. That's a cool thing. That's when the message can begin to speak, is when things are done decently and in order, right? Here's another example. See what you guys think. Sing along. No. See? It wasn't distinct. But if I make a distinction in the sound. We stand and lift up our hands for the joy of the Lord. Okay. If I make a distinction in the sound, you get it. You understand, right? Paul says, verse 8, he continues on, the same kind of analogy. For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? Now, nowadays, the army uses walkie-talkies. They use satellite phones, whatever it is. But back then, it was a trumpet. You guys know what? You guys know what that was? What's that? It, was it? Is that what it said, Reveille? That was, yeah. Yeah, that, yeah. it's also used in the Kentucky Derby. It's actually called the first call. And what that is, is the very first one that uh, even the buglers here, there's just one bugler that does it first. And he's basically saying, okay, hey guys, get out of bed. This next one is Reveille. That's Reveille. Okay, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> Decently and in order. Um, that's Reveille. That means to report for roll call, right? The first means get, your guys, get your, yourselves out of bed. The second one means report for duty right here, right? And they have uh, trumpet calls, bugle calls for retreat, to advance, to go to the mess hall. They have uh, bugle calls, or at least they did, for everything. Now... Imagine if the bugler decides one day at 5.30 in the morning, says, you know what? I'm tired of that. I want to do like a tribute to Miles Davis. You know, kind of blue. It's pretty cool. Or Maynard Ferguson, this screeching horn player. And he starts playing whatever he feels like. And he's having a great moving experience. He's having a great time, but the troops are going... Huh? I mean, what does that mean? Do I, do I get up? Do I put on my gear? Do I shine my shoes? Do I visit the mess hall? The, the, the soldiers are going, I hope that's not a battle call, because if it was, I sure wouldn't know what to do. Verse 9. So likewise, Paul says, you, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. Paul's saying, look, God will hear you, and you'll be blessed, but to the rest of us, it'll be like you're speaking into the air. Verse 10, he says, There are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world, and none of them is without significance. I read today that there are over 6,800 known languages in the world, and none of them, Paul says, is without significance to somebody. Right? Chinese, it's not gibberish to Chinese people. French is not gibberish to someone who speaks French. But if you don't speak the language, 
It's kind of gibberish to you. Verse 11, therefore, Paul says, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks. And he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. You guys, if you've been overseas, you, you know that, right? You ask for directions and they say something and then you nod and hope that somebody else speaks English. I mean, you don't even have to go to a foreign country these days to experience this. At the cafeteria at Disney, two people will look at me and they'll say something in Spanish. And I don't know the, whether it's, what a doofus? <laughs> or how did someone get to be so good looking? <laughs> I have a guess. No. Um, there are people that make good money. They make living, a living translating. That's because... So that meetings can be productive. Business meetings, uh, international meetings, they have translators. Why? So everybody can be on the same page. So it can be helpful. So it can be edifying to all. That's why verse 12, Paul says, even so, since you are zealous, and these guys were zealous for spiritual gifts, since you're so zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. This goes back to verse 1 in principle. Paul says, look, it's okay to be zealous for gifts. We should be zealous for gifts. We need gifts. We need these spiritual gifts. We cannot do the work that God wants us to do in our physical flesh. We'll fail every time. We need spiritual gifts. The Corinthians had that part down. But Paul says, desire spiritual gifts, but pursue love. If God gives you a tongue a supernatural ability to speak another language, if he gives you a tongue by itself, Paul says, what good is that? I mean, it's good for you. Built you up. But love says, Paul, Paul says, that love says, I want to be used by God for others. I want for God to use me to build up others. Verse 14, for if I pray in, my, in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. We saw this when we looked at this gift of tongues. See, it's hard to explain in a nutshell, but the beauty of the gift of tongues in a devotional life, the thing that blesses me about this gift of tongues is that it surpasses my understanding. My understanding thinks, for instance, hey, maybe I want a new car. But the Spirit knows, no, if he gets that new car, he's going to, Go astray in this way. And so I pray in my understanding, Lord, I want the new car. And in the spirit, when I am speaking in another tongue, it's like the Holy Spirit is saying for me, look, don't listen to me, Lord. I'm a fool. Give me what you want to give me. Give me the, the really lousy car because you know the future. And all the time, I don't know what I'm saying. It says my understanding is unfruitful. And that's offensive. Some, that's the hardest part about this whole gift of tongues. People are like, Wait a you want me to pray and not understand what I'm saying? Well, it's, again, we can't go into it at length, but any language is a contract between two people. And what you're saying is, God, I trust you to pray the right thing through me. It's a great thing. The gift of tongues is a good thing. But in a church service, who does it help? Without interpretation, who does it help besides you? Verse 15, Paul says, what is the conclusion then? That's what we're all thinking. What is the conclusion? I will pray with the Spirit, Paul says, and I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will also sing with the understanding. 
Again, notice, hopefully you're, you're seeing this thread. Paul is not saying that the gifts of tongue is evil. He's not saying that it's not to be desired. He says, I will both pray, uh, I will pray both with the Spirit and with my understanding, with regular language. He says, I will sing both with the Spirit and with uh, my understanding. Interesting. Tongues is perfectly suited for singing because it's speaking to God, right? It's, it's a prayer. It's praise. It's worship. Um, a lot of times, again, if, if there's an actual uh, enunciation of tongues and, and a, a proper interpretation, it should sound not, you know, not always, but something similar to the Psalms. The things that David said, uh, um, Lord, you are wonderful. Uh, I magnify your name. Those kind of things are, would be in a correct interpretation if it's, if it's actually done correctly. All right. Um, here, verse 15. If you've been praying, I don't know if there's anyone in the room like this, but if you've been praying for this gift of tongues and felt a little lost or a little weird or not sure what exactly to do, verse 15 could help you. Um, we, we know that you can't be taught tongues, right? We talked about that. Some churches, they'll say, hey, come down here. Okay, now just say a few syllables. Now say this over and over again. Voila, you're, you're speaking in tongues. You don't teach someone a gift. I give you a gift, right? But when you think of that, that that's because the, the um, well, when you think about it, then you have the other problem. Then, okay, well, wait a second. Does that mean then that God is just going to start talking through me? Like, I'm just going to sit there and say, uh, Lord, give me this gift, and then I'm going to have my mouth closed, and he's just going to open it and just start doing it through me. No, well, that violates the other principle that we learned, that God is a gentleman. That he will not just overtake you, right? If you ask him for tongues, I, I told you just last time, it's not like these, these syllables are just going to come blurting out of your mouth at the grocery store, right? Well, Chuck Smith, the founder of Calvary Chapel, was kind of facing this whole thing. It's like, oh, I mean, I've been praying for three months and I still don't have this gift. What do I do? I, I don't want to just learn it. I don't want to just have it be rote. And he was really struggling with it. And he noticed in verse 15, notice there's four times it says, I will. He read that. He said, I will, I will, I will, and I will. And he noticed and came to the conclusion, I guess my will is involved. Here's what I'm saying. is, If you're praying for this gift of tongues, if you've been praying since we've started to learn about it, if you're praying for this gift in your devotion time, the words will not come out of you. They'll not spring out of you uncontrollably. They will be as natural as your own language. And in your own language, you don't just start blurting out stuff. A thought comes in your mind first, right? Something that you feel like you should say. So let me put it this way. And I'll, uh, this is from my own, my own experience. A word or a sound or a phrase will come to your mind. It might be ever so small. And all you need at that point is just a little courage to just say it out loud like you would any other language. I'm not going to teach you that. I'm not going to say, okay, say this, right? But if, you, if you're praying for this and you believe that God wants to give it to you, he's not, again, he's not going to come and just take over your mouth. He's going to give you a thought and you're just going to speak it out. And all of a sudden you'll find, wow. Um, Paul says, look, there's a time and a place and a benefit, a great benefit for the gift of tongues. But without interpretation, Paul says, the church service is not it. Verse 16. 
Paul says, otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit, pop quiz, bless who? Who would you bless with with the gift of tongues? Pop quiz, see if you're paying attention. God, right? You would bless God because it's always speaking to God. Otherwise, if you bless God with the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not understand what you say? And that's exactly what was happening in Corinth. Everybody had a gift, and it was like showtime at the Apollo. Right? Everybody would stand up. Everybody would say, Shunamakai, Shunamakai, Shunabahanda. They would say all the things that, you know, like, listen to my gift. And then they would sit down. And that person who stood up and said those things, they just had a great worship experience. And the rest of the congregation was looking at them like, okay. The rest of the congregation that wanted to say, amen, that wanted to say, so be it. They, they're just like shaking their heads going, um. Well, yeah, what he said. We talked about this in simple terms of prayer. When every, I talked with John. I wasn't able to be here last week. The reason that I'm so insistent that you pray out loud so that we can hear you is so that we can agree. Right? So that we can say amen. Paul says, look, if you speak in an unknown tongue, how can anybody agree with you? How can the uninformed, the, the person who sits in that place of the uninformed, it's like a person at the UN without headphones How can he say, "Uh, yeah, I agree with that? You can't say it. So Paul is careful, though, again, not to talk bad about tongues. Verse 17, he says, for you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. Look, Paul says, look, you were built up. I'll give you that. Good for you. I'm not doubting that. That's a good thing. But on the other hand, no one else in the room was built up. Again, if you're tempted to think that Paul was dismissing tongues, look at verse 18. I thank my God I speak with tongues More than all of you. Now that is hardly a rebuke against the gift of tongues. He says, I thank my God for this gift. And he says, and I use it more than (laughs) y'all. He's from the south. Verse 19. Yet in the church. There we are. We're back to the public worship service. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. You understand that. Implications here. You can read between the lines. Paul was, says, look, I'm, I spend a lot of time speaking in tongues. He was building himself up in the spirit all of the time. He had a very active prayer language. Yet in the church, in the public assembly, he says, look, I'd rather speak five words that would help you than to sp- spend 10,000 words building up myself. This all goes back to what? Verse 1. Right? He says, look, desire gifts. How we need them. Yes, we need these spiritual gifts, he says. But pursue love. Pursue love. Run it down. Track it down. Desire gifts, but pursue love. Basically, the question Paul says is, how can I use these gifts that God wants me to have? This is a question for us. How can I use these gifts that God wants me to have in the most appropriate way for the whole church? And that's why Paul went into this discussion on tongues and prophecy.